0: Hello and welcome. I am Dr. Ellie Kalaporis on behalf of CME Outfitters. I would like to welcome you and thank you for joining us for today's CMEO briefcase entitled The Burden of Anemia in CKD. Today's program is supported by an educational grant from GSK. I'm a professor of medicine in nephrology at the University of Pennsylvania Perlman School of Medicine in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and I am a practicing nephrologist as well as a, you know educator in the School of Medicine. Um, let's go over the learning objectives of today's program. The goal of this activity is to evaluate the burden of CKD-related anemia, particularly among the underserved patient populations on dialysis who are at risk for receiving poorer care and therefore experiencing worse outcomes. I'd like to begin with the case. I would like to profile for you the case of Jarell, a 55 year old black male. And um, Jarrell, has been on dialysis for several years, dialysis three times a week. His past medical history is that of end-stage renal disease, type 2 diabetes, hypertension, and obesity. And we know that the leading cause of kidney failure requiring dialysis in the United States, and probably even the world, is type 2 diabetes followed by hypertension. So he has the risk factors for chronic kidney disease and ultimately leading to dialysis. The patient lives in a lower income neighborhood in a rural area, and there have been many issues with his care over the years as he transitions from chronic kidney disease through the stages to end stage. The issues with transportation have caused tremendous complications in care, and and uh, he has been unable to see his visit physicians because of that issue um, in a consistent manner. We draw monthly labs on patients on dialysis and even biweekly if someone is having a problem. And so Jarrell, who's on dialysis, has anemia. His hemoglobin is... grams per deciliter. His serum iron is 39. His transferrin is 479. His total iron binding capacity is low, 588. And his ferritin is extremely low, 10 nanograms per ml. The gold standard for nephrology when we assess someone who's iron deficient is really the transferrin saturation percentage, and his is very low, 7%. We accept a TSAT of greater than 30% as being iron sufficient. So Jarrell is really iron deficient, and he has anemia. So to introduce our topic, anemia of chronic kidney disease, let's briefly review the pathophysiology behind anemia of CKD so that we can better understand what patients struggle with. Um, one of the, the reasons that patients have anemia is one of the reasons is secondary to erythropoietin resistance or deficiency. The organ, the kidney, is the major organ producing erythropoietin. Uh, the anemia causes are multifactorial. Um, CKD is has a state of high inflammation. Inflammation reduces erythropoietin production and the red blood cell lifespan. We also know that patients with chronic kidney disease have excess hepcidin, which impairs iron absorption and mobilization of iron from body stores. We think of hepcidin as the gatekeeper to iron release from the stores to the circulation for erythropoiesis to occur. In addition, patients on dialysis, in-center hemodialysis and also home hemodialysis have blood loss during their dialysis treatment, either through bleeding from their access or blood that is trapped within the dialysis filter, and therefore blood loss from dialysis may also What we know about anemia of chronic kidney disease is that there is disrupted renal oxygen sensing in the kidney, and that leads to reduced erythropoietin production. There is decreased erythropoiesis. There's high levels of hepcidin, which blocks the release of iron into the circulation. There is also blood loss, and then we have anemia. The additionally, Inflammation, as I said, is a cofactor in anemia of chronic kidney disease, and that it also leads to reduced EPO production, decreased red cell lifespan, and also this excess hepcidin, um, which really is one of the key factors and has been the subject of much discussion and much research um, in in this space. So that both iron deficiency and blood loss contribute to anemia of chronic kidney disease, as we just discussed. When we are seeing patients with chronic kidney disease, we really want to ask ourselves, what are some of the signs and symptoms that may lead us to suspect our patient has anemia? And we'd like to, I'd like to discuss that with you. I want to step back for a moment before discussing the, the factors or the clinical presentations and say one thing that I think is really very important that I've come to recognize um, in my practice. My patients don't know what a hemoglobin is. Uh, They don't know what anemia is. So we have to educate our patients. What they do know is that they don't feel well. And so as we talk to our patients and think about anemia and how it impacts their lives, we have to not only talk to them about the numbers in their monthly laboratory evaluation, but also in how they feel. Because for patients, feeling better really trumps even longevity on dialysis, and they often ask me, I just don't feel well, Dr. Kalaporis. I know my blood count is low, but I don't feel well, and I want to feel better. So one of the comorbidities and complications for chronic kidney disease are type two diabetes. We talked about hypertension, heart failure, stroke, cognitive impairments, sleep disorders, and higher mortality. But what the patients tell us about are their symptoms, symptoms of anemia, which is fatigue, shortness of breath, uh, pale skin, weakness. They can't get out out from their chairs, um, body aches and pains. Um, Some of them, if the hemoglobin gets down very low. Experience chest pain, particularly on dialysis, and some patients may actually have dizziness and fainting or syncope, or syncope as well. We know that patients with anemia have significant complications that they must deal with in their daily lives. So, how do some of these complications affect our patients' quality of life? And I. I really mentioned earlier that quality of life is really very important to patients and so it has to be really important to their care providers as well. So let's look at some of the data which impact which anemia impacts on quality of life indicators. A large study 5276 patients which was labeled the um, health related quality of life study was performed in many countries, including the United States and Europe. And it really looked at, dialysis-dependent chronic kidney disease and the symptoms that they reported. So patient-reported outcomes or pros are becoming really very important in clinical trials. And the patient's voices are becoming important because the patients want us to know what they would like as an end result of the clinical trial when it comes to their quality of life. And what we found from that study is that patients uh, with um, anemia had a significantly less mobility. They could not move around. They couldn't get up out of their chairs. They could not exercise. They had significantly less ability to care for themselves. They couldn't do their daily ADLs. They could not shower or brush their teeth. Um, They had a higher pain or discomfort index. They just felt not well. And they can't always characterize what not well is. They feel tired. They feel fatigued, as we talked about. Or they just feel pain all over their bodies. Um, They also have greater rates of anxiety and depression. And we really have to be aware that depression is a major quality of life indicator for dialysis patients and really all CKD patients because kidney disease has robbed them of their life. They are unable to live
1: normal lives
0: as we do, not on dialysis. And so therefore, both the KDQOL36 and this EQ5D3L, those metrics for quality-related life indices, really all confirm that worsening quality of life with decreasing hemoglobin is really very present and very important to patients. And we really need to know about it because we need to um, make them feel much better. So we know that patients with chronic kidney disease have a decreased quality of life. We just talked about that. But how does the treatment of anemia affect our patient's quality of life? So the impact of treatment on quality of life has really been intensively studied, and we know that erythropotent stimulating agents or ESAs improve quality of life 36 scores. They improve perception or pain perception, improves emotional well-being, and also improves both energy and fatigue in very significant uh, numbers. In another study. Um, ESAs improve quality of life metrics by month six of being administered and being able to correct anemia. It it improves fatigue, depression, energy and weakness, and, and shortness of breath. Although in some patients, there is no difference in the shortness of breath, perhaps because we don't ask the right questions. Instead of saying, do you have shortness of breath, we should ask do you have difficulty breathing? So using common language I think is very important in eliciting uh, common symptoms from our patients. What are the pitfalls that are associated with treatment in our patients? Now that we know that there are some specific benefits of treating anemia and chronic kidney disease, What are some of the risks or possible negative effects of treatments um, which we discussed? There is a big cardiovascular disease risk in patients, uh, reported in patients receiving poetin alpha, darboipoietin alpha. And that resulted in several clinical trials um, which had very bad outcomes, including stroke, cardiovascular disease, and also death. Black box warnings were issued by the FDA stating that patients who are receiving erythropoietin alpha are at a greater risk of death and serious adverse cardiovascular events and stroke when you target a hemoglobin greater than 11 grams per deciliter. So that normalization of hemoglobin or a hemoglobin greater than 11 has been reported to lead to deleterious side effects. We also know that it's not just the number of hemoglobin that is identified to be detrimental but also the dosing interval. Higher doses or supraphysiologic doses of ESAs are also a culprit in these adverse events. There are important iron clinical considerations when we treat our patients with erythropoietin-stimulating agents. Um, The question is, should we give patients oral iron or intravenous iron? And when you consider administration of intravenous iron to patients, you really need to be cognizant that there are infusion reactions, such as anaphylaxis, associated with some of the iron preparations. In addition, there's increased oxidative stress and risk of infection in patients receiving iron. And so we limit iron administration to patients who have no known infectious process ongoing currently. There are also administration issues. Caregivers are often giving um, erythropoietin-stimulating agents, and it is an injectable. So they have to learn how to use a syringe with a needle. And this can be very burdensome to patients' families who are not used to delivering this degree of patient care to their um, caregivers, and possibly medication errors and not being able to administer the medicine um, correctly to their loved one. We have discussed the burden of ESAs and related treatments on patient quality of life. We now need to focus on patients from underserved populations who experience the same but also specific other hardships when it comes to chronic kidney disease. We know that there um, is a significant, chronic kidney disease is a significant burden on underserved patient populations with ESRD. We know very well that race and ethnicity is a burden and that African-American patients, Hispanic patients, and Native American patients have a higher burden of disease than Caucasian patients with the same age group and the same underlying comorbidities that they have. So let's dive a bit deeper into some of these disparities. As I said, there are both racial and ethnic disparities in patients with chronic kidney disease. We know that minority populations are at higher risk for chronic kidney disease, but they also experience less medical care. So the rates of kidney failure from diabetes by race and ethnicity has been well documented and that Black patients, Hispanic patients, and Native American patients have a greater um, rate of kidney failure and are at higher risk for chronic kidney disease than their uh, Caucasian uh, counterparts. But these patients, although at higher risk, experience less medical care. And the presence of of clinical risk factors for chronic kidney disease um, is is lack of screening. Patients are not being screened. Population health is not being delivered to the most vulnerable populations for this disease, which are the black and non-Hispanic participants. So only 24% of those patients are screened for chronic kidney disease, and yet they're the most vulnerable populations that we know are at risk for developing chronic kidney disease. In additionally, prevalence of pre-dialysis care from nephrologists among hemodialysis patients by ethnicity lags far behind in non-Hispanic versus Hispanic patients. So these patients not only have a higher risk, are more vulnerable to chronic kidney disease, but they also experience less medical care and they most likely have never seen a nephrologist before landing in a hospital or in a dialysis unit requiring dialysis. Now, what can we see when we look at additional factors such as socioeconomic status and chronic kidney disease? So the most vulnerable populations are who are at risk for chronic kidney disease um, have social determinants of health that work totally against them. Education is lacking in some of these uh, populations. There's lack of education, lack of employment, low income, and patients just live in abject poverty. This. The social determinants of health that are a result of what they, of how these patients live, the lack of education and the lack of income and access to care lead to some selected issues that, that accelerate the progression of their disease. And those include lack of paid or sick leave, lack of insurance and therefore lack of access to care, poor transportation, there are no social support structures. Uh, The neighborhood really is not surrounded by um, caring physicians and other um, care providers. There's housing instability. Those patients may not have a home to live in. Uh, There is poor access to healthy food. And also uh, the housing quality is very poor and there are environmental toxins that all lead to stress for the patient and lead to outcomes that are bad outcomes in both health, increased morbidity, and finally increased mortality in those patients. So understanding the socioeconomic background of our patients really empowers us to affect change and provide them with the care that they have not received uh, prior to um, coming to see us uh, for their their care. I would like to go into a little more detail about some of these key socioeconomic determinants of health, health that affect our patients. So I've listed on this slide the key determinants, which I think are really very important. Obviously, genes in biology is important, and genes can lead to diseases of the kidney. And we've identified some of those genes, and we are working towards treatment modalities specifically related to gene therapy or altering their uh, genetic environment. But we also know that the social and socioeconomic environment of patients really plays a very, very important role. Marginization from from majority society, uh, discontinuation and institutional racism, which we know exists, loss of culture and cultural bias and conflicts really are important determinants that lead to poor nutrition, low birth weight, obesity, diabetes, hypertension, cardiovascular disease and endothelial dysfunction. And that leads to chronic kidney disease. Many of these factors can also lead to chronic kidney disease related anemia. So the two are really interrelated. So while I have outlined that there are significant challenges for patients from underserved populations with anemia in CKD, there are some strategies that we can use to improve these outcomes. And in my mind and in my practice, I think patient-centered care is one of the most important strategies that we can utilize to reduce disparities of care. Assembling a multidisciplinary care team is really very important. Developing a strategy for educating patients, but also their caregivers about CKD anemia is really important. We should be comfortable asking patients about their social determinants of health. We should include family, caregivers, and the patient's community in both the treatment and the educational efforts. And let's not forget that we have to periodically reassess all those issues that we discuss with our patients and our caregivers every three or four months to see if something has changed. I think identification and diagnosis of patients who are targeted for chronic kidney disease is really important. And population health in our society, and particularly in the United States, which is the wealthiest country in the world, we need to develop and implement a detection protocol of screening to screen populations at risk for chronic kidney disease and anemia. We have to leverage our health information systems, use our electronic medical records to provide us with alerts about missing pieces of information in their history. We need to promote detection at every opportunity, and we need to measure, track, and improve and follow whether we have actually altered any of those determinants over the last six months or years. And finally, treatment and monitoring is really critically important. We need to integrate evidence-based guidelines to educate our patients about best practices. And, and best practices will lead to improved quality of life indices. And ultimately, we need to decrease CKD progression or at least stop progression of chronic kidney disease in these patient populations vulnerable for accelerated chronic kidney disease and progression. Let's conclude our program today by revisiting our patient, Jarrell. What are some considerations we should keep in mind when discussing a treatment plan with Jarrell? I think an important consideration obviously is his um, past medical history and stage renal disease, type two diabetes and hypertension because we know those are risk factors that confer an increased vulnerability for chronic kidney disease in patients uh, with um, type two diabetes and hypertension. But we also need to ask Jarrell, where does he live? Who are his caregivers? What is his support system? Because we now know that patient, this patient who lives in a lower income neighborhood in a rural area has social determinants of health that really adversely impacts the quality of his life and lead to progression of chronic kidney disease. We also need to ask his paci- the, the patient and his caregivers about issues with transportation and access to care. We know that not being able to get to your physician or your caregiver because of lack of transportation lead to multiple complications in care. So as a medical team, how can we better meet Gerald's needs as a patient? Well, I think a holistic approach and really delving into Gerald's um, life and lifestyle are really very important considerations. Are there things we can do to help him initiate and maintain therapy? I think there are. I think identifying poor access to care and the social determinants of health that impact his quality of life adversely and really addressing them with open-ended questions and offering support is really very important in really completing his um, holistic approach to care. So we we really need to develop a set of what we call SMART goals. Specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and timely goals, smart goals, those are really important. We need to characterize the symptoms of anemia in chronic kidney disease and recognize the burden they place on patients by asking patients uh, how they feel. Recognize the disparities in quality of life of dialysis-dependent patients with anemia in chronic kidney disease. And actually, all patients with chronic kidney disease utilize knowledge of disparities in underserved patients with anemia and CKD when treating patients from different ethnic and racial backgrounds. Today's CMEO Briefcase is part one of a three-part series of case-based activities. I hope you'll check out the other two activities in the series. To receive CME or CE credit for this activity, participants must complete the post-test and evaluation online. Participants will be able to download and print their certificate immediately upon completion. And I just would like to ask you all to be safe and take care of yourselves so that you can provide the best care for your patients. Thank you.